Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the podcast. And Happy New Year. Hey, I really hope this bonus episode helps you lead like never before. So we're kicking off 2017 with a special episode. Uh, We're coming out with our regular one on Tuesday, et cetera, et cetera. But I wanted to do this because, number one, it's a brand new year, and I really do hope that together we can figure out how to lead like never before. Again, in 2017, I'm going to keep growing. You're going to keep growing. And so we thought we'd start with your questions. And uh, we've been stockpiling them for a while now. And I'm going to answer as many questions as I can in this bonus episode. But we're also doing it because we're celebrating a milestone. That's right. Did you know that two weeks ago, we hit two million downloads of this podcast. I mean, that's crazy. You guys have been so generous and sharing it and letting your friends and other leaders know. And that happened kind of fast because just about seven months ago, we celebrated 1 million downloads and it took us like almost two years to get there, 20 months to get there. And then a few months later, here we are at 2 million. And so we wanted to stop to say thank you. And we're going to do that in two ways. I'm going to answer as many questions as I can in this bonus episode because you keep sending questions. But here's what we're going to do for the next 10 days between now and January 10th, 2017. Uh, we're going to give you free Starbucks because remember, when we hit a milestone, the beneficiary is always you because you are the guys and the gals who make it happen. And I'm so grateful for you. So uh, we're going to be giving away Starbucks. Now, we've done that in the past, but here's here's the secret, okay? We're going to be random this time. So go, if you haven't followed me yet on sort of the three principal platforms that I'm on, uh, Facebook, it's just facebook.com slash cnewhoff or Twitter, I'm C Newhoff on Twitter, or Instagram, it's my full name, Carrie Newhoff on Instagram. Randomly over the next 10 days, we're just going to have some Starbucks giveaways. And so we'll put a code up there. And if you're the first in the store and the balance is still there, ah, have a drink on us. We're really excited for that. We've done that in the past. It's been spectacular. Hey, if you want to, even do a hashtag and like uh, reply at me and just let me know that uh, you were the winner. We'd love to see that. So uh, all the links are in the show notes to this one. So you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. But between now and January 10th for the next 10 days to celebrate 2 million downloads, you guys are going to get free Starbucks. What a great way to start 2017. And we're going to answer uh, some some questions as well. Hey, also want to say thank you to all of you who have made the initial launch of the High Impact Leader so great. We just actually had another round of offering the High Impact Leader course because we want you to have an incredible 2017. It is not available right now, but it is coming back in the middle of January. That's right. You're going to have an opportunity uh, to take the High Impact Leader course. And we're going to open that up. Uh, let's see. The dates are the 16th of January to the 19th of January. That's a Monday to a Thursday. It'll be open one more time. This is not going to be a course that you can just take. Well, you can take it at any time as long as you purchase it, but um, it's not going to be available for purchase all the time. And so it's coming back on the 16th to the 19th. So don't miss that. If you've missed out so far, we've got an opportunity for you to jump in. But speaking of jumping in, hey, why don't we uh, jump right into the podcast and answer some questions that you have. And so you know the drill if you're a longtime listener. And if not, I'll fill you in. Uh, If you go to my website, which by the way, now, if you don't know how to spell my name, C-A-R-E-Y-N-I-E-U-W-H-O-F, so easy. 
um, you can go to leadlikeneverbefore.com. That will actually redirect you to my blog, kerrynewhoff.com. So leadlikeneverbefore.com, you'll see a little widget that says, got a question, click on that. And that's where these questions came from. So we're reaching back months into the archive to pick up where we last left off. And let's start with this one about a church that's actually growing. Hey, Carrie, um, you've written a lot about driving church growth and barriers to church growth, which I'm so appreciative for. And uh, it's been very helpful to our church and our leadership. But my question is, what do you do when you're in a season of growth? What what things do you focus on so that you can sustain that growth and continue to build momentum? And what do you do and focus on and protect so that you don't blow it in a time of growth? Thank you very much. Man, I wanted to start with a fun issue for 2017, and that's a great one. I mean, a lot of you, you are in a good season right now, and the question is, how do we not blow this? Like, how? what are we doing, and how do we keep this going? So here's a couple of things that have really helped me, because I think every leader, if you stick at it long enough, you go through seasons of momentum, and then you go through seasons where momentum is maybe not as strong. So you're in a season of momentum. Here's what I would say. Figure out why you're growing. Figure out why you're reaching people. Figure out the good thing. Because as I've heard Andy Stanley say many times, if you don't understand success, you're incapable of repeating it. Now, I don't want to like quench the Holy Spirit. Obviously, God is involved and he is doing something, but you got to figure out, like, is it a season where you've just got a reputation in the community? Or is it because your people are doing a great job of inviting their friends? And if they're doing a great job of inviting their friends, why are they inviting their friends? Is it the kids' ministry? Is it the messages? Is it the music? Is it the whole experience? Is it, like, what is it? You've got to figure that out. And when you figure it out, take good notes. Now, it's impossible to predict. This is not formulaic. So it's like, well, we'll just keep doing this forever and ever, and we're going to keep growing. No, it's not quite that formulaic. On the other hand, if you don't understand it, you will never understand why it dropped. I mean, to a certain extent, you know, leading a church, you definitely have to leave room for the the work of the Holy Spirit. And I try to leave lots of room for the Holy Spirit in my life, e- even in this, in this podcast, in, in everything that I do, and certainly in, in my life in the church. But, you know, there are certain principles that just work. And it's kind of like weight loss. And when I hired a trainer seven or eight years ago, he said, here's the bottom line. If you consume more calories than you burn, you will gain weight. If you burn more calories than you consume, you will lose weight. Like, it's pretty simple. Now, the weight loss industry is a multi-billion dollar industry because people try to defy (laughs) those rules, right? Well, no, 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 no. I'm going to eat more than I burn, but I won't gain weight. It's not true. But anyway, personal trainers have job security because of logic like that. So, I mean, there are things, there are things that are happening. There are good things that are happening at your church. And I would encourage you to figure what that is. And then here, here, here's what I would do. I would then pour gas on that fire. Like if your people are doing a great job of inviting, figure out how you can make it even better. If your messages are really connecting because maybe you've shared more personal stories, then keep sharing more personal stories. And then also look for some other things that are starting to percolate, all right, because the same thing over and over again is probably not going to produce, you know, long-term results. But you will see other indicators as you become a student of what's working and what's not working where, hey, this is really starting to catch on, pour gas on that fire and see what happens. Now, that said... You will never be a perfect predictor. Uh, God is sovereign. Uh, we are not. We can't always figure out why it's working. I mean, even in, in writing, you know, as a blogger, 
there are times where I get really excited about a post and I'm like, man, this one's going to be a killer and you know, it'll go viral and like crickets, nothing. And then other times I don't really care about a post, but for some reason, you know, it's data publish and it, it takes off and I don't really understand it. So I don't think you'll be able to fully understand it, but becoming a student of your success is very important. In terms of not blowing it in a time of growth, humility is a real key. Uh, Lack of self-awareness can be a real problem. And the other thing I would say is success makes you conservative as, as you know, if you, and and I, I know who this is, so I know you're a regular listener. What I would say to that, and you're like, well, how do you know who he is? Because people leave their emails when they do this. So we've corresponded before. And I know your church, and it's a good situation, but success makes you conservative. Success makes you conservative. And what happens is you get so excited about the good things that you're afraid to break it. And when you become too afraid to break it, number one, your reliance on God goes down. Number two, the innovation that got you there is probably not going to continue to move you forward because you stop innovating when you become conservative. And number three, fear becomes a motivator. So you definitely don't want to go there. So I always say the greatest enemy of your future success is your current success. So I hope that helps you. Hey, we're going to go to a question from Clayton. Hey, Carrie, this is Clayton Haight from Hermiston, Oregon, and I love listening to your podcast. I listen to listen to all of them. Um, I'm 20 years old, and I was just hired on as a full-time associate pastor at my church, and I was just wondering, what are some of the top tips that you would have for a young pastor or leader starting out in um, anything like this? So... Uh, thanks again for everything that you do with your podcast. Absolutely love it and challenges me, encourages me and look forward to hearing uh, an answer to the question. So thanks and have a great day. Clayton, love your question. And uh, thank you so much. You know, those of us who don't live in, I'm going to try to say it, Oregon, we, we say Oregon. And like, I know people in Oregon go crazy over that. But I, I spoke in Oregon, a co- or sorry, Oregon a couple of years ago. I say, I'm not going to do that right. But anyway, you pronounce it correctly, and I'm, I'm working on it as, as a Canadian, a, a non-Oregonian. Um, but anyway, hey, 20 years old, thanks so much for listening, man. Thanks for your encouragement. And uh, here's what I would say. There's so much advice. I mean, I wish I could talk to my 20 or 25-year-old self numerous times. But one of my favorite pieces of advice, and it's so, so hard when you're a young leader, and it's so hard because it requires incredible self-restraint, is, uh, and, and it, it's, it's a, a saying I've blogged about before, but it's just don't wrestle with a pig. Don't wrestle with a pig. And what do you mean by that? Well, you know, sometimes people just take shots at you or they try to drag you down. And here's why you don't wrestle with a pig. Don't wrestle with a pig because you both get dirty and the pig liked it. All right, that's it. You both get dirty and the pig liked it. So what happens when you wrestle with somebody who really is not trying to build you up, but they're just trying to tear you down or they're gunning for a fight or they're just out to destroy is they, they actually love that. And what happens is you think, well, I'm going to win. And I mean, I've done that in seasons as a young leader where I'm like, well, I'm just going to counter your argument with my argument. And then that gets into a counter argument and a counter counter argument. I mean, you just go, it, it, you descend lower and lower and lower and lower and soon everybody's dirty. And again, the pig liked it. So anyway, I mean, I just think that's funny. So if you don't and you're offended, well, I won't wrestle with you anyway. So, um, <laughs> Long story short, what do you do? You take the high road. You just take the high road. It's like if somebody is trying to build themselves up by tearing you down, you just let it go and you walk away. You don't speak ill of them. 
Uh, you pray for them. You bless your enemies. Uh, you try to take any grain of truth you can from it. But anyway, that's one piece of advice. I think that could save a lot of leaders a lot of time. And hey, social media makes it more complicated. Uh, another thing I would say, second principle, live like God loves you and everything you read in the Bible is true. I mean, you're going to do ministry for decades, I assume. I think that's great, Clayton. And some of what you read in the Bible, you're going to go like, really? Is that real? And the longer I've lived and the longer I've led, the more I'm like, oh, that's what it meant when. Like light bulbs go on. And, you know, like spiritual warfare, that that is a reality. Now, I'm not one of those people who thinks that there's a demon in every piece of burnt toast. And I'm not one of those people who, who thinks that, you know, everything is Satan. No, but I'm also not one of those people who just believes that that's fanciful fiction from millennia ago. I really think we have an enemy. And, you know, ministry has probably introduced me to that realm of life more than uh, I was acquainted with it before I went into ministry. So I would say live like God loves you because he does. And that will really improve your understanding of who you are and live like everything you read in the Bible is true, because I think it is. Uh, Third one, invest in coaches and counselors who make you better. Uh, you listen to this podcast. I think that's amazing. That's why I write a blog. That's why I release resources like the High Impact Leader. I mean, invest in coaches and counselors who make you better. The good news about living today is there's a lot of free stuff. And I think that's great. I'm committed to free long term. But, you know, think about, okay, is there a conference I could go to? Is there a seminar I could go to? Is there a mentor or coaching network that I could join? Uh, I have a friend, Jeff Henderson, uh, and, and actually another friend, Troy Fountain, who, who have launched Pastor's Circle. And they're doing a great job monthly building into people. You can learn more at pastorscircle.com. Um, you know, and, and that's an investment. And people go like, well, I don't have money for that. But it's kind of like date night, right? Like if you don't have money to even go for a $40 date night with your spouse, uh, that's not an expense. That's an investment. And I think leaders who invest in themselves, even in coaches, I've had corporate coaches, I've had counselors over the years. And it's made me a better leader. So I would do that. And then the third piece of advice would be get comfortable being around people who are smarter than you. You know, insecurity plagues almost all of us. And and it certainly has plagued me over the years. And if you're really insecure, you will be tempted to have people who are maybe not quite as sharp as you in the room. And I think the earlier that you can get used to and comfortable with being around people who are better than you, you know, better communicators, better thinkers, better leaders, better preachers. And the more that that doesn't trigger your insecurity, the better you are as a leader. Does that one help? I hope so. Uh, And I really appreciate it. And thanks for tuning in as a young leader. I know there's a lot of young leaders who listen to this podcast and uh, read the stuff I write. And I just want you to know I'm cheering for you, man. I really am. Okay. Hey, we're going to go to Jeremy, who's got a question for me about a church and growth barriers. So let's go, Jeremy. Hey, Carrie, my name is Jeremy, and you did a podcast about attendance markers and how to grow past them. Uh, I'm a staff pastor at a church of about 150, and we're trying to get to the next level, but I don't remember what podcast it was where you talked about that. Hey, Jeremy, thanks so much for that. I love the fact that you're thinking about barriers, because as I've said uh, in Lasting Impact and, and other blog posts I've written, a lot of the times we think the reason churches don't grow is spiritual, but it's actually structural. And so you're about to make at 150 one of the biggest transitions 
that you'll ever face. And it's a transition that 80 to 90% of churches are never able to successfully mount. Now, here's how you do it. Again, this is assuming your church is growing and, and that you've got people coming and you're just trying to figure out what you need to do. The biggest obstacle, in my view, at the 200 barrier is pastoral care. Now, I've written about this on my blog, so you can get more information there. And by the way, if you look at my blog, it was redesigned a couple months ago. It's got a little search thing at the top, especially if you're on your desktop. You can search any subject or just Google my name and like um, church growth. And Google has a great way of finding articles. But I'm going to share a couple of key principles from that. Number one, uh, pastoral care you are probably expected to do way too much. And it worked when your church was 40 or 50 people, but now that you're around 150, you're going to the next level. Um, You've got to figure out a way to get scalable, sustainable pastoral care. I really believe that 98% of pastoral care is having someone who cares. It does not have to be you. When our church was your size, I had to really like cast vision with our elders, our leaders. We didn't have any staff. I was the staff. Um, And with our church to say, hey, I could visit you like a year ago or two years ago. I can't do that anymore. And the reason we can't do that is we're on a mission to reach people. And as we reach more people, it just doesn't scale. So you guys are going to have to get good at like caring for each other. And so we set up small groups, took us a few years to get it right. But you set those expectations And then the other thing I would say is you've got to start handing off more stuff because your church, if if you have to touch everything, your church will only grow as far as your personal reach. Like think about it, okay? Think about it physically. Like actually put your, unless you're driving, put your hands out right now and imagine what you can touch around you. If you have to touch everything, every service design, every pastoral care moment, every decision, every team, every committee, every group, every curriculum that you adopt has to go through you, well, and you've got to put your personal fingerprints on that, You've only got to reach. Like I know my, I'm six feet tall generally from what I understand. Your wingspan, like your arms extended, are about your height. So I've got a six foot wingspan. That's it. That's as big as anything can grow if I have to touch everything. And even this podcast, as it's grown to 2 million downloads, I've had to release more and more to my team because I, I can't keep up. I can't keep up with that volume. So I've released it to the team and that allows me to focus on what I can focus on, which is content. I'm a communicator at heart. That's what I do. And I'm a thinker and, you know, that that's basically what God wired me to do. I think I'm good at a lot of things, but I'm not. So I'm not actually editing this podcast. My friend Toby is and uh, he does that for a living. And so uh, I hired him when I started this podcast to do that. You got to let stuff go. And if you let stuff go and you set up your organization to win with a clear mission, vision and strategy, that's when you really start to grow. So I did an episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. That is the Church Leaders Podcast with Brian Orm. It's their episode 41, where I explain these barriers in greater detail. So you can just go, we'll link to that in the show notes, but it's the Church Leaders Podcast, episode 41. And uh, I also have an article version of that that runs on my blog and also on churchleaders.com. It became one of their top rated articles of all time. And so uh, they did a follow-up podcast to that. So you can get it in different forms in writing and more, but I hope that helps. Pastoral care and touching everything in ministry are the two biggest obstacles. Okay, let's head to the next question. Hi, Carrie. I love your podcast and I'm reading your book, um, Lasting Impact. It's um, been quite a blessing to my life. Um, here's, here's my question. Um, what does a pastor like myself, who is 57 years old, and though I feel like um, at a point in my life where I'm the most theologically stable and even informed about current church culture, 
Um, I can't get a church to consider me seriously for a lead pastor position. Um, what does someone like me do who has a call and has a lot to offer uh, do now? Um, there are no scandals. There's no, there are no moral failures or red flags that would mark me as unfit. But you know, I appreciate your input or maybe if you would devote a, um, a podcast to, um, to the topic of you know, people like myself, older pastors, who still feel like they have a lot in the tank and want to be involved. But in our youth-driven culture and even in the church, it seems like um, people consider me over the hill or outdated or irrelevant. You know, I do have three kids that are millennials and four grandkids, and I feel like I'm doing my best to stay on top of things. But uh, again, just appreciate hearing from you. Well, thank you so much for asking that question. You know, I get variations of that question, not just by people in their 50s or 60s, but just a variety of people, even in their 20s, leaders in their 20s or 30s who are like, why can I not get a job? And that's always, first of all, you know, I have empathy for that. I mean, we all get stuck at a certain point. I appreciate the fact that you've kept yourself sharp. Uh, As somebody in my 50s myself, I realize that staying on the cutting edge is work at a certain point. It is not automatic. You know, you're kind of relevant and aware when you're 20. It just seems to to be a very natural thing in your current, but you have to work at it as you get older. So kudos to you for doing that. Um, you know, it's a hard one to say, but I'm, I'm answering the question because, I mean, I can't really answer your question, but I can give you some clues. And to any leader who's stuck, like, why can't I get a promotion or why can't I get a job or, you know, why didn't they hire me? One of the keys, I think, for all of us is self-awareness. It's just self-awareness. So I can't tell you the specific answer for that, but I'll bet you there are three or four people around you who, if you sat down and just said, listen, I really need some insight. I'm not going to be defensive. I just need to know, what do you think? You probably will get some really good feedback. Now, you've got to be very secure to handle that, and you can't be defensive because if the conversation is, you know, let's say it's me, Well, Carrie, I think one of the things is you just don't seem as up on culture as you used to. If I answer that with, well, no, I read like three hours a day and I know an awful lot, Eh, conversation over. If I'm like, oh, okay, so you don't you don't think the perception is that I'm up on on culture. Okay, thank you for that. Help me understand. What does that mean? What does that look like? And again, this takes incredible maturity because you you can't get defensive as soon as you get defensive you're, you're going to have that person turtle and, and shut down. Uh, another thing that happens is you have to have the right person who will tell you the truth, not somebody who, who you know, is out to get you, but somebody who loves you enough to speak the truth. Uh, because you'll also get some people who are like, yeah, I don't know. I don't get it either. They're, they're not helpful right now. Okay. You got to find the person who loves you enough to tell you the truth. And then you need to be mature enough to hear it to listen to it. And even if you feel on the inside, because I mean, I was there, I don't want to say I never get upset about criticism anymore, but I've gotten a lot better at it over the years. But even if it's triggering things inside you and, you know, emotionally all your alarm bells are going off, don't tell your face. Don't let your face show because you've just got to learn and pray about it and try to reflect or, or, you know, get some coaching and some wise counsel around you. And I think self-awareness is the key to that. And I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you think, and this is where the blind spots happen, maybe you think you're theologically stable and you're informed about the church culture, but you discover afterwards that nobody else really thinks that or most people don't think that. That is the opportunity for growth. And if you can understand why and then have the humility and the maturity to change things, I think that's where that happens. And I think that's true, honestly, if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, beyond. 
I just think we can always grow. And so I personally, I want to keep a a humble disposition. I don't want to have it all figured out. I want people speaking into my life who tell me the truth. And then I I have to pray about this. God, give me the humility to hear it. So that's how I might tackle that. And hopefully you have three or four people in your life who would give you, who love you enough to tell you the truth and give you that feedback. All right, we're going to jump to the next question. This one is from Matt. Hey, Carrie, this is Matt from Lakeville, Minnesota. Love the podcast. I love what you're doing. You recently mentioned how you redeveloped the Connexus website to be optimized for mobile devices. I was just wondering if you could share two or three principles that help make a website more mobile friendly. Thanks a lot, Carrie. Hey, yeah, Matt. Last year, I was sort of over our web redesign at Connexus, and you can see that at ConnexusChurch.com. And so we really became convinced, and I became convinced even on my own blog, CarrieNewhoff.com, that uh, more and more, well, convinced, yeah, I read Google Analytics. I mean, over half of the traffic on our church page and I think 70 to 80% of the traffic on my personal site is mobile, which means people are reading it on their phone and not everybody has the 7 Plus or, you know, a large screen phone. I mean, if you've just got the iPhone 7 or a smaller phone, um, it reads very differently than on your 27-inch iMac. That's for sure. So what, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, and this is more, you know, the smart technical people have to figure it out. And you need to have either a mobile-friendly format or ideally a mobile-first format. What do we mean by that? That actually your website is designed for mobile. Why? Because again, 70 to 80% of the people who are probably going to interact with your content are going to do that via mobile devices. So what does that mean practically? I, I, again, I don't program that stuff. We have people who do that. And, and a shout out to Chris Lemma in California, who's done an unbelievable job on my site, leading it through the two last migrations. I think we did a major upgrade in 2014 and then one again in November, December, uh, just a couple months ago. Chris, thank you so much. So those are the smart people who can answer this much better than me. But then as a content creator, uh, large font, short paragraphs. Large font, short paragraphs. Why short paragraphs? The grammar police hate the way I write. Why do I write in very short paragraphs? Sometimes one paragraph or two paragraphs. Because when you are reading a blog post that I write, on your phone, a two-sentence paragraph looks like a four- or five-sentence paragraph on your phone. It almost fills up the entire screen. That's why I write very short paragraphs because, I mean, just check out any blog post I've written on your phone. If it's more than four sentences, it covers the entire screen when you're reading it. Now, again, if you're opening it on a 27-inch iMac, it's going to look a little bit differently, but that's like 5% of the audience. So don't play to the 5%, play to the 80% who are accessing it on their phone. I would also do lots of headlines uh, without a whole lot of text underneath them. Okay. Just a lot of headlines because here's how I think leaders read. And this is how I write my blog. I think leaders look, is this going to be a good investment of my time? They read the header. Am I interesting? Like the opening copy. And then they look at all of the bolded points, the, the headers. And they go, oh, this is interesting. Then they go back and read it. Or they decide they're not interested. And if somebody is going to give me 60 seconds to five minutes to read a post, I want to make sure that they already know that this is going to be rewarding because they've already read through the headers. You can also use bullet points, etc. Definitely a lot more images. Make sure your images don't hog a lot of bandwidth so that they're slow to load. Uh, and a little bit less text. Now, Less text, I would say, for a public website because you want to get your message across quickly. 
I generally on my blogging, I'll write like 1,500 to 2,000 words on each post. Long form blogging has a place as long as your content is something that resonates with people. So that's what I would say. Oh, also make sure that whatever you write works in both portrait and landscape orientation. Does that make sense? So I hope that helps, Matt. All right, we're going to jump to uh, another question, and this one comes right from Manhattan in New York City. Hello, Kerry. Uh, my name is Bruce, and I'm a senior pastor here in New York City in Manhattan. And I have been really keeping up with your blog, and I have been tremendously blessed by your ministry. Uh, right now, I, I, I ran to one of your blog uh, talking about uh, lay people being empowered to make decisions of their respective ministries and also having staff led and elder uh, leading government governing the church. I was wondering if you can explain uh, what does it mean by staff led? Um, if you can give me some more description of that, I would really, really appreciate it. Hey, Bruce, great to hear from you. And I'm always so encouraged to hear leaders who are doing ministry in places like New York City. I know there's a lot of you who are doing it, and man, it is just so encouraging to see. Yeah, um, staff-led is something that I picked up from the North Point model, and I don't think it's exclusive to them. I think if you're going to lead a certain size church, uh, staff-led is kind of essential. So there's different approaches, but let me just uh, boil it down to this. Some congregations are congregationally led. In other words, everything goes to a vote. I think that becomes a growth barrier. Um, reason being, you just have way too many important decisions to make to try to get a consensus. And uh, you got to go back to the church over and over and over again. And I mean, have you ever tried to get 20 people to agree on something? It's really hard. You end up with diluted solutions, etc. Another thing that a lot of churches get stuck at, particularly around the four to 600 level, is a board who feels they need to know everything. And again, the, the staff and particularly the lead pastor are kind of hamstrung because every time you want to make a decision, you got to go back to the board. And I mean, complexity rises with size. And, you know, I remember when we were even six or 800 and maybe, you know, a million dollars in revenue, I, I kept saying to the board, like, if we're going to make decisions at the micro level, we're going to have to meet every other night. I mean, basically, that's what staff are there for. And our board handled it really well. And we moved out of that. Uh, well, we were never really in that. But you know, you get a lot of, of committed leaders who pray for the church and they want to know details. Now, I think the board has a right to know details, um, but they can't live in that space. I mean, think about a, a, a $50 million hospital trying to run by running back to its board all the time. Every time there needs to be a surgery or, or you need to buy sponges, you know, or uh, the nurses are are uh, ready to, to make a move personnel-wise. I mean, you just can't do it. You got to look at the big picture. And I think that's true. So, that's what I mean by staff-led. And the way we structure it is the lead pastor is accountable to the board. The board has the power to hire and fire. The lead pastor is accountable to the board. And then the lead pastor is responsible for all of the staff. And I always said during my time as lead pastor, hey, if the lead pastor makes bad decisions, you deal with the lead pastor. Like we have some conversations and maybe you fire me. I mean, that, that's what happens. We have loved that model. It's been so healthy for us. It allows us to be still a lean organization, one that works really, really hard and have tight accountability as well. We also have independent third-party financial audits, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea is staff-led, 
let the staff lead the volunteers, uh, people gifted. Uh, so, you know, we have hundreds, like I think we have six or 700 volunteers serving at our church and then elder guided. So staff led, people gifted, elder guided, and the elders act as a sounding board to the lead pastor and they safeguard the agreed upon mission, vision, and strategy. Now you can change your mission, vision, and strategy, but you do that together at the board level. And then what you need to provide as staff is incredible clarity. You, you know, your job as the lead pastor is to be clear. And when you're clear, your board can do what it's called to do. And the people can do what we are called to do together as a church. So I really hope that helps. And um, yeah, yeah, that's great, Bruce. Okay, we're going to go to a, a question from somebody who is concerned that her church is dying. I've just read your article, Seven Signs That Your Church Is Dying. And my heart breaks as I think that I might be watching that happen to my church right before my eyes. My question is, what can I do or how can I help? Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate your heart behind that question, and I can hear it in your voice. So uh, back to that blog post uh, called Seven Subtle Signs Your Church is Dying. Uh, I'll, I'll just go over the signs really quickly. Um, and they're in that blog post. It's in the show notes. The passion of key leaders is waning. Uh, innovation is rare. That's another sign. Here's a third one. Management is beginning to replace leadership. Number four, maintenance is beginning to trump mission. Number five, your church has become fixated on being your church. You kind of forgot the bigger mission. Number six, you criticize younger upstart leaders. And then finally, your relationship with God has gone flat. So those are some signs. And I hear your heart saying, I, I think that's what's going on in our church. So what can you do in a case like that? Well, what I think you can do, and I don't mean to be trite about it, but I think you should pray about it. And I'm sure you are by, by the tone of your voice. Second thing is, have a conversation with your senior leader if you can, if you have that kind of proximity. And I, you know, rather than rattling the cages in small group or something, I would go to the senior leader and just say, look, I love our church. I'm committed to the mission. I read this article I'm just wondering, do you see any of these signs in our church? And in that moment, you will learn, or, or, you know, something like that. You might come up with a better question than that. But what you want to do is you want to phrase it as a question, not an accusation, because senior leaders are human and uh, we get sensitive sometimes. So when you ask the question that way, well-framed, like, hey, do you see any of these signs? Or, hey, I'm wondering if, you know, growth is an issue for our church and uh, is that something you've seen or something you feel? And and let them know you want to be part of the solution. You want your church to burn white hot with mission. Now, here's what you'll learn when you ask it as a question. You will either see openness or you'll see defensiveness. If you see defense, or I guess you could see denial as well. Openness, defensiveness, or denial. If you see defensiveness, uh, that's going to be a problem. If you see denial, sometimes you can go a little bit further. But if you see openness that's amazing. Because if your lead pastor, he or she says, you know what? I think you're right. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do about it? You, you're already three quarters of the way to a solution. Then you can figure it out. If they're in denial, that's a little bit harder. No, I, I think everything's great. Well, we haven't grown in five years. You know, what do you, what do, you do with that? Uh, but if you see defensiveness, well, at that point, you might be the person who you're the outlier. You're the person who really doesn't see it the way the other people in the church see it. If that's the case, you have a decision to make. You either 
live with the status quo or you leave and you find a healthy growing church. So that's how I would handle that one. It's a tough one for sure. And it really boils down to the openness of the leadership, at least the way I see it. So, and let them know you want to be part of the solution. You know, there's, there's lots of articles that I've written and other people have written books. I've written like Lasting Impact and other people have written great books uh, where, where you can go in with some ideas and some solutions. But I think you've got to see whether there's an openness. And then finally, we're going to wrap up today with Gary. Now, Gary and I were at a conference back in the middle of 2016, and he picks up with this, but I thought he had a great question. Even though it's a few months old, let's hear that. Hi, Gary. It's Gary Sharp. Um, I sat beside you at lunch yesterday at the uh, Create conference. Um, you said something at Create that I've been thinking about, too, the fact that at church we ask people to sing, and there are basically no other forms that we ask people to sing together at. Um, but something else that's been kind of bothering me at church is a similar question. What other forms other than church do we listen to a talking head lecture for for 30 or 40 minutes? That's just so rare, um, unless you're in university. So church is basically singing together and the talking head, both of which are disappearing in our culture. So, that, so does that mean that church should change radically or should we continue to be the outliers in our culture? Yeah. Gary, thank you so much for that. Uh, you know what? It's a really good question because I, I do say things like that and I believe things like that. Like, you know, we don't sing anywhere else in the culture other than the shower or the car, right? When nobody's looking. <laughs> that, that's when we sing in our culture. Um, I don't think that means we end singing in the church. Uh, actually, a lot of the churches that are really growing these days have some pretty amazing and intense worship. I think that can be great. And then what about the sermon, you know, a talking head lecture for 30 to 40 minutes. Now, I've heard for years of people who are like, you know, the 30 to 40 minute sermon is dead and they move into interactive groups or whatever. The challenge with that is scale, scale and engagement. I've never seen that work on a mass level. Just honestly, maybe it's out there and you can show me how tens of thousands of, not you, but I mean, you collectively, Gary, people Someone could show me how tens of thousands of people are being reached through that sort of, everybody sit around a round table and we'll just have a discussion on a Sunday morning. I've never seen that work for lots of people. So, you know, it's a good idea. I, I just haven't seen it take place. But there's something else that I think fundamentally, theologically is very true. And that is when you're preaching and you're preaching faithfully and you're preaching scripture and you're preaching authentically. I really believe that the Holy Spirit moves in people's hearts. That's just something I always believe. I, uh, I studied in the Presbyterian tradition, and uh, I loved Calvin, and I know around the time of the Reformation, uh, they were looking at how many sacraments there were. I, I, I was close to thinking, you know, preaching could almost be a sacrament. I mean, I, I know some of you are like, ah, now I'm not listening anymore. But there is something special that happens in preaching where God is present in His Word, that really moves people. The number of times people have come and said to me, I had this happen last time I preached, you know, a, a guy said, wow, I felt like I was going to cry throughout that entire message. Now, maybe it was that bad. No, no, I mean, he, he wasn't, he wasn't coming at it from that perspective. Sorry, preacher joke. Um, but, but he was being moved. Now it wasn't a particularly emotional message. It just wasn't. It was, it was just the Holy Spirit got a hold of him and God had prepared him to hear that moment. I've had people come to Christ when I was giving a message on tithing. I've had people come to Christ at a volunteer event where I actually had spent 30 seconds thinking about what I was going to say to the volunteers, and for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit moved. Now, I prepare a lot harder for messages on a Sunday, 
but I think there is something sacred. I think there is something powerful. And uh, I've, I've written before about how long a sermon should be. My bottom line is 10 minutes of boring is 10 minutes too long, and an hour of fascinating is not nearly enough. So I don't even think there's any magic. You know, our attention spans, are they dropping? Sure, for most things, but not for really fascinating things. No, they're not. I mean, people binge watch series for hours at a time on Netflix if they're um, engaged with them. And so I think if you do an authentic, faithful job of presenting God's word, and I think if you present it in an engaging and compelling way, and this, this is the good news, sometimes we don't and God moves anyway, uh, God moves. And the same with music. I think you want to make it accessible. I think you want to name the elephant in the room that not everybody is singing. And I think you want to give permission for people to say, hey, that's okay if I don't sing. I can listen. And we have a really strange mixture in our church on a Sunday morning where we can have a really engaging band and half the people in the church singing and half the people not. And the people who aren't, a lot of the times they're guys, they're just not used to singing in public and that's okay. But that's why we don't do 40 minutes of music because that becomes alienating. We'll do anywhere between two on a really tight Sunday to four or maximum five songs. And usually if it's five, one of them is a performance piece. And we try to be mindful of the fact that not everybody believes what are in the lyrics, not everybody feels like singing and, and that's okay. And then when it comes to the word, Hopefully I've been clear. Hopefully I've been faithful. Hopefully I'm prepared and we trust God to do the rest. And we have seen that work again and again in our church. And I've seen that, you know, when you look at who is reaching people and who is making disciples, that does seem to be the formula. But I do think that that is when um, preachers are prepared and they're humble and they're effective. And when uh, the band and everybody in charge of service programming is sensitive to the fact that there are outsiders in the room and we're open to that. So that wraps us up for uh, this New Year's Day bonus, Ask Carrie. And we'll be doing those from time to time. I've got another one coming up this month. And uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for 2 million downloads. Man, 2017 is going to be an amazing year. We are back on Tuesday with the first full episode of the new year. And I'm going to sit down with James Emery White of Mecklenburg Community Church, uh, former president of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, who's got a fascinating new book coming out on the generation that follows millennials. What are young adults like teenagers and college age students really like? It is fascinating. It will curl your hair and that's coming out on Tuesday. So if you haven't subscribed, do that. Share this with a friend if it's been helpful to you. That's how we got to 2 million downloads and here's to many, many more in 2017. And again, to celebrate, like hang out, go to leadlikeneverbefore.com or kerrynewhoff.com and find these show notes and uh, follow me on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. So on Facebook and Twitter, I'm just C. Newhoff. Look for that. And on Instagram, it's my full name, Kerry Newhoff. So let's hang out together this year and I will be giving you some free Starbucks randomly over the next 10 days. And then don't forget that in the middle of the month, from the 16th of January to the 19th, that's a Monday to a Thursday, you'll get one more opportunity to jump in on the high impact leader before it goes away again for a while. And I'm super excited to see so many of you get your life back, get your leadership back and get time, energy and priorities working in your favor. Here's a question for you. What would you do if you got a thousand more productive hours this year? Yeah, exactly. Why a thousand hours? Because I really think if you implement the practices that I outline in the high impact leader course, you could get between three hours a week, that's about 150 hours, 
to three hours a day of your life back. Now, if, if that works out for you per day, that's over a thousand productive hours in the year. That's what the High Impact Leader course is all about. To all of you, the hundreds of you who jumped in already in December, thank you for that. And we are back on the 16th to the 19th of January with your final opportunity to jump in uh, for this part of the year. So we're super excited for that. Hey, we'll see you on Tuesday. Have a great year and uh, enjoy some Starbucks. Okay. I hope all of this helps you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.